Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hi, this is Nikki of the Kitchen Sisters. We want to tell you about a new weekly from PRX called Monumental. Did you know there are 22 monuments depicting mermaids, but only two depicting U.S. Congresswomen? The landscape of public memory is changing, but is the day-to-day changing with it? Monumental will uncover the stories that our monuments are telling about what and who is important, as well as the stories that have been left out. Join host Ashley C. Ford and our team of 12 journalists across the country as they confront the reality of what we publicly commemorate, exploring big questions about the past, present, and future of monuments. Listen on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. That's the sign of the Indians. That would be some of the boys when they would be traveling in the city of New Orleans. That is during the Mardi Gras. That's legendary jazz piano player Jelly Roll Morton talking to musicologist and audio archivist Alan Lomax in 1938 about the Mardi Gras Indians in his hometown of New Orleans. Today, the Kitchen Sisters present this interview and a collection of stories in honor of the Black Mardi Gras Indian tradition and its long history, its rituals, and deep-rooted significance to New Orleans culture. These people, they had the idea that they wanted to act exactly like the old Indians did in the years gone by. And they wanted to live true to traditions of their style. If they happened to meet a friend or a friendly tribe to them, they would pitch it and start to dancing. Now, this was one of the biggest feats that ever happened during the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Even when the parades that cost millions of dollars would be coming along. If a band of Indians was come in, why, the, the parade wouldn't have anybody there. Everybody would flock to see the Indians. They would dance, and they would sing. They would be armed with fictitious spears and tomahawks and so forth. And incidentally, sometimes some of them would break the rules and have some real material to fight with, with steel. Some even had pistols. And I have known many cases where there have been killings in the city of New Orleans with the Indian bands. Now, here's the way they would sing when they would be dancing. They'd form a ring, and one would get in the center, and he'd start his kind of an Indian dance. And he'd be singing, throwing his head back and downward, and stooping kind of over, and bending his knees, and doing a kind of a, a jug dance, I'd call it. And they would say, Two way back away, and the whole bunch would answer back, A who time day, two way back away, a who time day. To a bark away, who turned day. They'd have a kind of a rhythm 
uh, with the with the heels, like this. To a back away who time day, to a back away who time day, to a back away who time day. I like how you go, I like how woe. Oh, to a back away who time day, to a back away who time day. When they would say other things, they would stop for a minute and throw their head back and say, I like how you, I like how we. Who way back away, two way back away, two time day, two way back away, two time day. Now they would be from time to time, if they didn't meet a friendly tribe towards them, uh, which uh, I thought when I was a child, it was really Indians. I thought they had the paints and everything else on them, just like the Indians would, and some with the blankets, and so on. Women never was in these masquerades at all. They'd meet uh, some, uh, a real enemy, the enemy would walk up to, that is, the, what you call the spy boys. They would use them about two blocks ahead. I had a little uh, experience in it myself. I happened to be a spy boy. There was always kids that did the spying. These were real men that did this Indian dance and, and played the Indians. And their main object was to make the enemy bow. And they would use this word. When the spy boys would meet another spy boy, they'd say, Bow wow, bow wow. Oh, no. Bow wow. I don't remember all the words they used to use, and they'd point their fingers to the ground. Bow wow. I'm Nick Spitzer. This is American Roots with the final act of the annual National Heritage Fellows Concert, led by the Wild Magnolia's Mardi Gras Indians. First, a conversation with Chief Bo Dollitz from 2001. He began with his family. My father was a cabinet maker. My mother, she was a housewife. We live on Jackson Avenue, uptown New Orleans, you know, in Central City. That's how I got involved with the Mighty Grandias, because I had two neighbors in my block. This was like in the 50s, the early 50s. And I used to go over to the house and watch them sew their costumes. I always say I was going to try to make me one, you know. But my father didn't want me to mad because then you know, during that time was uh, very humbuggish and they had this turf thing, you know. My father he didn't want me to do it. Go ahead, two way pack away, go the golden The humbugs or turf wars between neighboring tribes were common until the nineteen fifties, about the time Bo first paraded or masked as a Mardi Gras Indian. That kind of a morning, so my mama was going Look at the parade, you know. Go and put my Indian suit on. And so happened my father seen me on Washington in the South. <laughs> and I was in I was in full dress costume, you know. He, he let it go, you know. He said it was all right. As a teenager, Bo began learning the traditional songs of the Mardi Gras Indians, sung in a secret language that borrows from English, French, and Creole. The language is, I don't know how to put it, but the Indian could understand it. If he say, quiet, could you pay no say, don't tell no lie. I'm the big chief this morning on the mighty ground. The next guy might say something else different, you know. He said, I'm the big chief from downtown. I don't buy. I don't kneel. I wear my feather with a heart of steel. It's a lot of old traditional music that came down, but everybody, the only thing they do is put their experience in it. And whatever you experience on Carnival did, 
you try to put that into the song. Like they got the song that said, I sold, sold all night long. I sold that morning till the break of dawn. Mighty God morning, gotta take me home. Because if you don't have no rest and trying to wear that costume, you're not gonna make it. If you notice, all of the Indian tune is similar. So what I did, I just made mine commercial and put a lot of electronic instruments, guitar, and that's how I got it. After Bo was elected chief of the Wild Magnolias, he became known around New Orleans for his soul-tinged vocals. In the late 1960s, he was noticed by a local music follower. Quint Davis heard me sing one night at Indian practice. See, I went to an Indian practice, and I took the reel-to-reel recorder, and Bo Dallas was, was singing there. And man, when I heard that tape, his voice wept out. It was unbelievable. I wasn't thinking yet about producing anything with the Indians. I just was struck with Indians. Quint Davis, the son of a prominent architect and philanthropist, was a student at Tulane University. In 1970, he organized a concert with the Wild Magnolias and an opening act, Willie T., who led a New Orleans funk band. And the Indians then came on and were wailing, and Willie got up and started playing with them and just was able to improvise his sort of brand of New Orleans R&B jazz-flavored funk. And I had my same little tape recorder running. At this time, Tulane takes pride in presenting Bo Dallas and the Wild Magnolia Mardi Gras Indian Band. That was the creation of some modern form of music that matched, you know, instruments in Mardi Gras Indian music. The funky blend of traditional Mardi Gras Indian chants and instrumental music started making waves outside New Orleans. And then when I looked at the people in Carnegie Hall audience sitting there and looking straight at you, I said, oh no, this is the wrong crowd, yeah. Mint coat song. Well, them people right there patting their feet. People back there, which I can't see, yes. I said, it might be patting their feet, too. Since their first recording, the Wild Magnolias have released several acclaimed albums of Mardi Grindy and funk, but some have argued that the music is broken with a tradition that's existed since the 19th century. Again, Quint Davis. I mean, you know, the whole 
question of um, traditional, non-traditional, commercialization, non-commercialization is a valid question that runs through everything. Do you leave a tradition just purely where it is or evolve it, acculturate it, commercialize it, and exploit it in a good way? That's always a discussion. But I knew, and I think it's always been borne out, for the community to see these things on the same level where they see Marvin Gaye and James Brown and the other things that they value in a different way would change the whole estimation and validity of it. Bo Dallas points out that the traditional music still thrives in the streets on Mardi Gras Day. Mardi Gras is the same. It's the same. If you come out there on the corner for the day, uh, come to, uh, like first and Daniel with the percussion, the tambourine, anything you could beat on. Two cans in one. That's the way we used to do it. And right now, that's the way we still do it on Mardi Gras Day. Look, we're standing in the shadow of Tootie Montana as he is a walking media event here. There's cameras and microphones and people all hanging, taking pictures, getting in there with him. He is the chief of the city. My dad used to be the chief in the 20s and the 30s. When World War II started, they didn't have any Mardi Gras. And in 1946 was the first carnival they had after the war. He didn't mask that year. I didn't either. But in 1947, a guy from down the 8th Ward, and he was starting a little tribe, and the guy went and got my dad and pulled him out of retirement. He said, come on, they got some little youngsters trying to get a little, a little tribe together. Why don't you come on and show them how it goes? So my daddy came back in mass. That's when I heard he was pulling that gang. I made a suit. That was in 1947. Right now I have my son. My little grandson and my little granddaughter, three generations out here today. So it's been in my family over 100 years. And I'm the one that stopped the fighting with the guns and the, and the shotguns and all that. Fight with your suit, get printed in me. Everybody trying to outdress each other. That's better than fighting with the guns, ain't it? That's what it's about. I stopped that. I'm Sister Allison McCreary. I'm a Catholic nun. I'm also a social justice attorney, the executive director for the National Police Accountability Project, also a spiritual advisor on death row, and president of the Louisiana chapter of the National Lawyers Guild. I had a Soros Justice Advocacy Fellowship to help decriminalize some of the sacred cultural traditions in New Orleans. The Mardi Gras Indians were being criminalized. They were being threatened, intimidated. They come out three times in the year, on Mardi Gras Day, St. Joseph's Night, and Super Sunday, which is always a Sunday closest to St. Joseph's Night. It's a more than 300-year-old cultural tradition where African Americans pay tribute to the Native Americans that helped the runaway slaves. For centuries, it was criminalized by the New Orleans Police Department and by the city. There were laws that came from the 1800s that blacks couldn't wear masks on Mardi Gras Day or be out on the streets after sundown. There's history of these laws, and a lot of those laws were still being enforced. St. Joseph's Night, March 19, 2005, 
The Indians were out in their suits at Washington and LaSalle, and the police decided to break it up. They came out there with their lights and sirens on. They pushed Indians off the street. They were cussing at them. They were beating them, arresting them. That St. Joseph's Night ambush led to a special city council hearing to talk about the relationship between the police and the Indians. Our elder, Mr. Cudi Montana, like y'all recognize, I just wanted... Chief, the Godfather. I am Chief, Big Chief Tootie, Allison Montana. I made, uh, I made 52 suits, so I made 52 years, right? And, uh... I, uh, it's a long story about the police action uh, on Cornwall Day that I experienced through those 52 years. Uh, but uh, I played it cool because when I told my mother that I wanted to make a suit that year, she said, oh, no, boy, uh, you don't want to fool with that because during my dad's time, they used to fight. It was dangerous. So all those years... I made sure that I didn't get involved in no kind of misunderstanding, including with the police. So I took a lot. Every year, when we got to Porges and Claiborne, it would be about eight policemen standing there. But when they seen us coming, they would wrap the strap of their belly tight so they make sure that they, it wouldn't get out of their hand when they beat your head or whatever. And I just told him, I stopped before we got there, I told my tribe, I said, look, those police out there, don't look at them. Another year, at least from my first practice, uh, my first stop on Pogo between Durham and Roman, when I get to Roman and Pogo, police cars coming all kind of ways. I said, well, what is that? And uh, y'all get out the street, get on the sidewalk. For what? We wasn't doing nothing, so I hope they're straightened out. Yeah. Say what? Yeah, okay. Go ahead, Chief. Take your time. Tootie Montana, who was the chief of all chiefs, died of a heart attack at the podium in city council chambers. His last words were, this must end. When we reopened those city council hearings in 2011, Jerome Smith, one of the original freedom riders at the podium and he talked about how these are Indians with feathers on them. They go all over the city where they go. They don't need to give you a route. They don't need a permit. They've never done that for 300 years and we're not going to do it now. He said, you know, you cannot police a bird. The streets belong to the people. WWOZ 90.7 FM. We are here with another installment of the Mardi Gras Queens of New Orleans with Queen May, also known as Asetua Amor Amakam of the Washita Nation. Welcome, be Queen. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about the first time that you masked in the culture. Big Chief Tutti Montana, he had been asking me for several years to mask with him. The year that I finally said, okay, I'm going to do it, I'm ready, I finally shook his hand when I said it because he kept asking me. And I kept saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, because I recognized the commitment. I knew it wasn't just a thing where you just put on a suit and prance up and down. I knew it had serious responsibilities. 
But then when I promised him I was coming that year, he met his demise. I remember riding through my neighborhood, and I saw this man riding on a bicycle with a suit on. Mm, this guy looks familiar. I recognized the family resemblance. He said, yeah, I'm David Montana. He said, you want to mask my queen? Just like that. At that time, he was masking second chief with the yellow Pocahontas. So that's my first time I actually put on an official suit sold by hand and did the whole nine yards. He wanted us to wear the African stuff. He was adamant about that because he wanted to show the connection between Africa and Native Americans. As I began to study, because, uh, you know, I'm with Kamuka African Drum and Dance Collective, traveling throughout Africa and Haiti and Jamaica and Europe and Egypt, and seeing all the connections, I began to see something really powerful in it that I didn't know before. And I, it became really clear that we may not have a conscious memory, but it's in the DNA. One of the things that led to making uh, New Orleans have the reputation of being the most African city in the United States is because of that subconscious, that DNA connection. I just wish for me that everybody who's involved in this beautiful culture could understand their responsibility with it and recognize that it's not just for the time you're sewing and the time that you're on the street, but it's even when you're not in the suit. You know, what are you doing with your life? How are you making that difference? How can we come together to do more? We know that if more young people participated with this, we would have half the issues that we have. We would have little boys to sit at a table with grown men. Just the thought of the wisdom that's transferring. It's an honor, and it, 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 it's a privilege, and it's a responsibility. The Kitchen Sisters Present is produced by the Kitchen Sisters with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell. Thanks to our production interns, Mary Franklin Harvin, Michael Wisnowski, Katie McCutcheon, and Charlotte Landis. Our Mardi Gras Indian stories came from far and wide. For the 1938 recording of Jelly Roll Morton, we thank Nathan Salzberg and the Alan Lomax Collection at the American Folklife Center, Library of Congress. Thanks to Nick Spitzer and American Roots for the interview with Bo Dallas of the Wild Magnolias. You also heard an interview with Tootie Montana, done in 1999 by Nick Spitzer and the Kitchen Sisters. The recording of the 2005 New Orleans City Council meeting comes from a wonderful film, Tootie's Last Suit, directed by Lisa Katzman. You can see that on Vimeo. Thanks to Julia Kumari-Drapkin and IC Change for the interview with Sister Allison. And we thank Big Queen Asatua, WWOZ, and the Mardi Gras Indian Hall of Fame for the excerpt from Big Queen's interview. It's part of a special series with Mardi Gras Queens of New Orleans at WWOZ.org. Thanks to Randy Fertel and Deborah Lester, to Prospect 4, the Ruth U. Fertel Foundation, and Project AND. Special thanks to the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts, Art Works. 
and a shout out to the NEA for recently funding our series, The Keepers, about activist archivists, rogue librarians, collectors, historians, and curators, and the collections and cultures they keep. You'll be hearing those stories on The Kitchen Sisters Present and NPR's Morning Edition. The Kitchen Sisters Present is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts created by independent producers. Radiotopia from PRX is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation and thanks to AdZerk for providing their ad-serving platform to Radiotopia. If you are interested in supporting this and other podcasts like it, email sponsor at radiotopia.fm. Thanks for listening. It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. Radio Tokyo.